welcome to the space where creators have aligned a positive and intellectual collab of open minds. For sharing and learning from one another, it's a vibe. We produce a podcast on the mic. Subscribe, educators, spitting bars. I guess you didn't know I'm multifaceted and humble, taking off life goals. The classroom is my comfort zone where I plant and sow. Seeds of knowledge, compassion, empathy, and hope. Reading is the key to unlocking your potential. Countless benefits, including cognitive and mental. Regardless of the genre, books are highly influential. Go get yours, I'll get mine. Make you strive. Monumental. Come rock with me and get down to this new jam. Friends, I had a very simple plan. Educate the masses through books and life lessons. It's the Grand Slam. I'm out. Ulubanaka, Kyoda. And welcome to the Reads with Russell podcast. It's Fijian Language Week in Aotearoa fam, and I am absolutely stoked to introduce today's guest. She is a crime writer, TV presenter, and radio host, wait a minute, and fencer from Dunedin, New Zealand. She is the author of the best-selling Detective Sam Shepard series and the standalone psychological thriller Faceless. She is of Fijian and European descent. She is also a research fellow at Va'aotaute Center for Pacific Health at the University of Otago. Welcome to the show, Dr. Vanda Simon. Bola Rosa, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm excited too. <laughs> if you can't already tell, I'm really just trying to like be in control, but I cannot help but be a fangirl. How are you, Vanda? How is good old Dunedin? Dunedin is fabulous as awesome. And as you always, it's been a wonderful, gloriously sunny day today. And um, yeah, it's doing spring. Although I do note that um, there might be a cold snap coming. So it is funny. Dunedin weather's weird like that, where we get dunner, stunner, and then it's snowing. Yes. <laughs> so I gotta love Dunedin. Got much love for Dunedin and the people there. Absolutely love that city. Um, before we, you know, get into our corridor, I just want to give you an opportunity just for a brief intro. Uh, shout out your people, villages, fans. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm Bulabanaka, I'm Vanda. As you said, I am of Fijian and European descent. I was born in Taronga. Mm. Um, and my dad is Fiji and my mum European and most of my brothers and sisters were born in Fiji um, and they immigrated over um, earlier on. So I did my primary and intermediate school years at Tauranga, Gretchen Primary, Tauranga Intermediate and then um, high school in Hastings, Kalamu High School wow. in Hastings before moving to Dunedin and then um, all over the country for jobs and things and then back to Dunedin and so I've been here for quite a while now and Dunedin's mm. what I now nice um I, you know i have my very first question that i've got in my head right now is what are your first memories in regards to books and reading so i was utterly addicted to books from a very young age uh, mum was a like a school teacher and we just spent an awful lot of time at the Gretchen Public Library because you know that's where you could get lots of books and books were an escape for me so from a you know a large uh, Fijian family I'm the youngest of 12 and books were my my escape portal into this other other world so I have very fond memories of getting lots of books out from the the public library and my very first book obsession um, started with the Bernstein Bears Almanac, which was uh, 
a wonderful illustrated book and I just loved that book so much that I'd get it out from the library you know you had two weeks that you were allowed to have the book and <laughs> I'd take the book back pop it pop it in the slot in the counter and then just hang around they just hang around the library until the library and put that book back on that return shelf and then I'd grab it again and then take it <laughs> reissue it take it home again um so I did that several times before you know sort of got shoulder mm. tapping this this is a whole other world of books that that you can enjoy so books have always been a huge part of my life did you have a storybook were you writing stories from a young age or not so much I always write um had, had a big imagination and always like mm. to write we stories. In fact, I had my first work published when I been when I was about eight years old. Um, because way back in the day, um, the New Zealand Herald used to have like a summer writing competition, and you could write little stories in and um, send them in. And if you were lucky, they'd get selected and you'd get published. So yeah, when I, some of my stories got published in that, um, I'm pretty sure back then they even they even paid you. So you know, got got a little bit of payment for for having a, a story published. So I also just kind of assumed that, you know, as someone who loves to read and loves reading books, that you know, I just write them one day because you know that's what you do: read, <laughs> write books. No one told me otherwise, so that's precisely what I did. Man, like, how how at that young age did you have the confidence to? Like, where did that confidence come from? What I mean is, okay, I'm going to write a story and I'm going to send it into the Herald and that's that's just what you do. Yeah. Um, uh, I was encouraged, of course. Um, Mum encouraged me, my nana and papa. Um, but also, you know, I was just, you know, ha have a go at things kind of a girl. Ah. So, you know, I wasn't, um, I wasn't worried about not getting published or failure I don't think that even occurred to me it was just if I sent it in maybe it would happen and of course you know, I was very fortunate and lucky enough that I did get um, little bits published which then encourages you to to have another mm -hmm. go and keep going um, I think that's probably actually one of the, the things across my writing career is that I have been very fortunate and that mm -hmm. publishing opportunities came up for me and I didn't have that many rejections of my work uh, along my life path because I know there are many writers out there mm. who've had rejection after rejection after rejection which must be really demoralizing so I do you know recognize that I was truly blessed and um, having had my work picked up quite quickly when, mm. when I tried to submit it no not everyone has been that fortunate mm. you know you've said this about yourself I am the product of a lifelong love affair with books and uh you know now as a you know years later published writer author does that still apply <laughs> explain what that is <laughs> absolutely um no I, I love reading and you know one of the best bits of advice I ever received from you know people about you know if you want to be a writer is to be a writer you must read mm. um and i've always loved reading everything i mean i'm utterly addicted to newspapers so i get my newspaper 
every morning if I don't sit down with my cup of tea and a chance to read the newspaper, the day is not starting on the right foot, people. Mm. So, um, and I've always been like that with newspapers. I'll, I'll read anything, magazines, um, I read nonfiction, I read fiction, I read children's books, I read young adult books, um, pretty much anything I can get my hand on, hands on. Um, I love essays, I love short stories, I love everything. Um, I'm learning to love poetry. <laughs> it's taken a while for poetry to spin my wheels, but I think that might possibly have been courtesy of high school and the poetry mm. that you learned in English, which was really, quite frankly, depressing. So <laughs> I'm learning to love that as an art form with some, you know, really some of the very witty, but also the really lyrical um, poets. Um, mm. Now, so uh, yeah, I um, reading is a really big part of my life. It's part of like, you know, like for many people, I'm sure it's part of my going to sleep routine. You know, I have to, have to read a wee bit in bed before I can turn the lights out and go to sleep. And if I don't read a wee bit in bed before I turn the lights out, I don't go to sleep. <laughs> Simple as that. So, um, mm. so trying to find you know, time to just sit down and enjoy other people's works um, is really important but also like yourself being a broadcaster because I'm going to be interviewing people about their books and mm. um, one of the pleasures of being an author and people now trust me to do it is you get invited to chair sessions and get to interview other authors and writing festivals and things like that which is so exciting I mean you get to interviews you get to try not to fangirl too much <laughs> I've calmed down a bit. If, if you've noticed, I have. I'm, I've taken a deep breath. I've cal I'm calm now. <laughs> well done, you. I'm exactly. I know where you're coming from. Um, I, I also I I like to over prepare, so I, I read everyone's books before mm. I get, which is great um, because it means that you read books that you might not normally pick up. You because know, some people, can, you can get stuck into a bit of a reading rut if you're not careful. Um, and that has been one of the hugest pleasures, I think, about doing the little radio show that I do, which is just on our um, Otago Access Radio, awesome radio station, fantastic people. But it's, you know, local community radio. And mm. the show I do there, I interview, two, I interview local writers. So it gives people a chance to have some you know, get some publicity because it's really hard to get publicity for your work let's be mm. that um give them a little practice run before some of them you know get interviewed by kim hill or someone like that right they get vander in the cozy little studio in dunedin first um nice. and through that show i've read all sorts of books that i would never have picked up in a million years you know from like little local histories that are really specific to an area to biographies about um people who I consider obscure but who've led these fascinating lives um, to, you know, to fiction, all sorts of things. So, yeah, it's all, like, input and food for the mill and the, the, the thoughts and everything. And when you're being a creative person and you have so much output all the time, you know, you're always giving out. Writing is very much about output reading is fantastic because it's input it's like nourishment it's like your food mm. food for your brain and your soul oh i like that food for your brain and your soul i like that your undergrad degree was 
in pharmacy. So I was wondering how you went from community pharmacist to crime scene forensics, you know, <laughs> to writing about crime scene forensics. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So, um, school and everything I was very much a sciences girl so often it's really interesting people assume that if you write novels that you know you you were arts and English type of person but no I was more interested in physics and chemistry and you know ah. making rockets and firing them over the school buildings and that kind of <laughs> thing. far more exciting than English and arts um although I did you know I did enjoy that as well so when it came to university, uh, I actually wanted to get, uh, tried to get into med school, but I, I, you know, I didn't manage to get into med school. So I did pharmacy because, you know, it was again something that was very involved in health and health is what I was wanting to, mm. to be in. So I um, enjoyed my years at pharmacy and graduated in pharmacy and went out and um, went to Hawke's Bay and worked in community pharmacy. And I also worked in palliative care in the hospice mm. um, and Hastings as well but in the background I always knew that I wanted to write novels at some point I found that with the pharmacy career because you had to concentrate so hard on your work and you had to be you know 100% accurate because if you make a mistake error in your dispensing you have the potential to do someone some serious harm so you know, that level of concentration all day I was really quite mentally shattered by the end of the day so I didn't actually get a chance to really embark on the creative writing mm. of it um, at that time my creativity was through my hands I did a lot of handcraft quilting and sewing and that kind of thing but it wasn't really until I had children and took time out to you know bring up the kids that I had the headspace to be able to finally get on with the creative writing now, of course, it's all very well and good to say, yeah, I want to write a novel, things like that. It's not quite that straightforward. And I knew I wanted to write, but I wasn't entirely sure what kind of things mm. I wanted to write. There were so many options. So I did a little correspondence course um, through the New Zealand Institute of Business Studies on creative writing because it covered everything. It looked at um, poetry, which I was really bad at. <laughs> it looked at non-fiction writing, memoir, short story writing. Um, but, you know, I very quickly realised that I was way too verbose for short stories and, <laughs> and novel writing was what I wanted to do. So I took that opportunity when I had the children to write. But of course, you've got to decide, what are you going to write? Uh, advice I'd been given, again, was to write what you love to read. Mm -hmm. And I loved reading historic fiction at that time. I also loved reading crime fiction. Uh, but you know, I had a six-month-old and a two-year-old child. And to do historic fiction, you've really, really got to do your research because um, you've got to get that historic basis into anything right because people will pull you up on any errors that you make. Just to date myself a little, you know, this was really before you could Google. That was mm -hmm. Google. So a lot of the research you needed to do was actually in libraries and archives and you know, with, with books and things, which not that easy to do with a six-month-old and a two-year-old. So um, crime fiction, on the other hand, uh, you know, it was everywhere. It was in your newspapers, crime, elements of that. I also was fortunate enough to have um, some of my husband's relatives who were involved with the police. And so I could ask 
ask questions. And I also had a tame detective across the road whose wife made him sit down and drink coffee with me and answer my weird, weird questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think he quite liked the weird questions. So um, that's when I, that's why I decided to write crime fiction. It was an utterly pragmatic choice. It was just, you know, mm. most easiest thing to do research on. And I have absolutely no regrets. I, I, I love love writing um, the crime fiction for many reasons. Um, you know, there's the obvious one, you know, it's strangely satisfying, dreaming up weird ways to knock people off and not get caught. <laughs> From, you know, socially, it's a, it's a great way to actually comment about society and, you know, many issues that are happening in society with marginalised groups and things like mm -hmm. that. So it's just a really expressive and fantastic vehicle to be able to do that so that's how I sort of went into the crime writing but to then get into the forensic side of things you know you've still got to do research right so as part of the research um, the Otago University here has a summer school and one of the summer school courses that I was always quite intrigued with was one on forensic biology so I thought you know I could do that course because it was only like about eight to ten weeks and, and that was that was doable. Um, this is quite some time down the track. I'd already had a, a couple of novels under my belt, mm. but I just wanted to um, do that. And so I did the summer school course. Absolutely loved it. I mean, gosh, forensic science is such a rabbit hole of fascination. Mm. I mean, all the things you get to look at or unspatter and how bullet wounds happen and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So loved the course. And the gentleman, the professor who ran the course, when he found out I was a crime fiction writer, he thought, oh, this is just so funny. <laughs> and he's like, Vanda, you should do some more study. You should mm. do some more forensics. And Muggins said I am. I, so I, I did. So I ended up doing, um, well, my PhD doctorate is in, um, it's in science communication, but it has that forensic science element to it but also as a nod to the crime fiction um draws upon the works of Nio Marsh and the forensic mm. science isn't that and that was a really long answer to your question so. no you know what I was getting excited because it was my question that was about to come up and you mentioned your PhD study mm. and Wow, you just I was just like no 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 I'm, I'm gonna let her continue um but yeah how did I mean, you definitely do not play around. I mean, you commit and you go all the way. How did that then help you, like, become a better uh, crime writer, like, in terms of all those juicy, like, juicy parts, you know, the science, forensics. Oh, man, I'm getting excited here. <laughs> in so many different ways. So, um, well, the, for a start, doing a PhD is an exercise in stamina. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, you know, and, and just doing the work, doing the mahi all mm. the time. Um, so, you know, that was really, really important. Of course, you know, from a having access, okay, universities have amazing access to libraries and information and you just all this stuff you'd read and discover it was you know fascinating so you know there was that whole element um of it as well and again putting things into words um quite different in an academic world to a creative fiction mm -hmm. world 
Unfortunately, in a PhD, you're not allowed to just make stuff up. <laughs> Damn it. And and um, when I was writing my thesis, because, you know, I'm a crime writer, you, you leave the surprise to the end, right? Uh, in academic writing, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to like <laughs> information at the beginning of the paragraph and then justify it. And I'm like, that was really hard. They wouldn't let me write a thesis where I gave them a surprise ending. Mm. <laughs> What's with that? So um, <laughs> you can different writing styles, but it's all practice. It's all different ways of writing. It's all different ways of communicating. And I was quite determined with a thesis to make it really readable, mm. not not starchy and stuffy and things like that. So um, that was, again, a, another really interesting challenge. But, it, yeah, it just all provides – you draw from so many facets of life in your creative work to put it onto the page. And so it's just all adds fuel and um, broadens your horizon, changes what you might read, who you might encounter, and you bump into fascinating people. So as part of doing my, um, this is you know, real life examples that ended up in books, mm. um, in doing the forensic biology course and then starting to do some study, I was in a um, working lab space with all these other young researchers and you know one of these young researchers you know she was doing work on how um, bodies decompose in water and she was doing this by going out into Otago Harbour um, and submerging pig's heads and seeing how they decompose in in water and you know following doing all the science behind that so that they could help long term so that when they discovered human bodies who had, may have been in water um, to be able to estimate how long they had been submerged and just needed you know, to help identify them and help bring justice to these people and for their families. Um, so, of course, they had to go in a book, didn't it? They had to turn into a Things turn up everywhere. So the, doing that PhD benefited hugely in my creative writing, but also it led to my my current career as a researcher at the Vale Tōtai Centre for Pacific mm. Health and doing health research, which I love. Mm. Yeah, well, now that you mention Vale Tōtai, let me jump to that. Um, so can you share some thoughts on the importance of centering uh Pacific voices and perspectives in the health sector. It's absolutely um, vital. Uh, I think everybody knows that Māori and Pacific have the worst health statistics mm. in the country. Um, that there are so many um, factors involved in that. Um, that we need you know, equity, we need access to healthcare, and there there are so many things involved in that. You know, language is a big one. Um, mm. um, poverty, where you live, plays a big factor, unfortunately, in, in your access to healthcare. So um, for me, my research areas that I look at is um, dementia and age specific peoples, but also access to medicines and services, and absolutely passionate about that because it's currently really really poor and we need to to lift that up um, one of the really exciting things that i'm able to bring to that i think um being a creative person is um you know looking at the language of how we 
communicate medical information um, to make it accessible, understandable um, and interesting. So that's sort of one of the areas I'm trying to focus on a wee bit, um, which mm -hmm. is exciting. But yeah, it's access to healthcare as well. But the other thing I'm passionate about is bringing through our younger healthcare, Pacifica healthcare people. So, you know, having our Pacifica um, doctors, having our Pacifica pharmacists, our Pacifica physios, our Pacifica nurses, um, so that across all areas of health, um, we are there and represent, represented and able, able to help our people um, and also Pacifica researchers. So. Right. Like me, doing research behind the scenes to then go out and help and help our communities in a really realistic way. Mm. So it's exciting, and I, I love working to there. They're great people. So you know, health sciences um, at Otago is huge. I mean, there are so many of our Pacific Island students who go through there, and uh, you know, obviously doing the research. I was wondering, uh, in terms of nationwide. Uh, do you and your team or other research teams in um, the centre, do you get to work, uh, network with other uh, similar groups or Māori Pacifica uh, centres around New Zealand or is it more about catering to the area like uh, the Otago uh, region? Yeah, um, we try to network as much as we can because we're all working to that one unified goal, which is improving health, not just within New Zealand, but also to the greater Pacific region. Because you know, where New Zealand is placed, it's not just about um, who we have here, but you know, all the um, island, many, many multiples of island nations around what we can do to support health throughout there, support um, you know, getting a Pacific workforce um, in health sciences throughout the entire region as well. So, you know, we're always trying to collaborate. Um, you know, Otago is very fortunate that we have campuses at in Christchurch and in Wellington, so sort of trying to strengthen those. But we also, you know, work with um, other universities throughout the country because, yeah, it's all to that one goal. Mm. You know, back to um, Vanda, the author, and the Detective Sam Shepard series, um, how long did that first book, the first book, um, Overcool, how long did that take you to write, uh, you know, plan, write, get everything down, and then publish? So that first book, uh, as I said, I had a six-month-old, a two-year-old. Mm -hmm. So my opportunities to get writing time were in snatches of, like, mm. 20 minutes when maybe by fluke and sheer happenstance they both happened to be sleeping at once uh, it didn't happen that often so that book actually took four years mm. from when i first started writing it until i went to the letterbox and got out of the letterbox the book you know this parcel that had this amazing thing in it and i tore it open and cried because here was the published book so yeah that took four wow. years um after that, the, the books took shorter periods of time to come out because, um, firstly, you know, the children were a little bit older. Also, each time you know, your craft improves, you become a better writer, you become better at it. You know where the bar is set as far as the um, the level of writing that you need to, to mm. set in, to send in. So 
your skills improve as well. So the, the books, you know, took less. So for a while there, I, you know, I had I was putting out a book a year. Mm. Um, then again, you know, life changes. You do stupid things like decide to go and do a PhD in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do it? Yeah, I mean, I'm just like, wow. Yeah. Did you sleep? Please tell me you had time to sleep and all of that. <laughs> what, 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 what is the strange sleep thing you talk of? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and you know and and now you know the fact of life is i i need to have a, a day job as well because um, writing doesn't pay the bills um so and also because i love my day job you know i want mm. to be doing that i really enjoy what i do so you know books now again just take that bit longer to write just because of um life really did you always set out to write a series or do you know what I mean? Like you started, okay, this is, I'm going to release this number of books. Was that the intention all along for you or uh, <laughs> as your writing improved and your craft, uh, you know, became better, you just decided, you know what, let me just surprise my fans. <laughs> let me just go back well, and surprise them. <laughs> question. No. So I wrote the first book. And when I went to um, pitch, you know, pitch it to a publisher, I thought, oh, I've got to be bold and brash about this. So in my covering letter, I put, this is the first in a series of books about Sam Shepard. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, you know, I might make it a series. Um, and then lo and behold, when Penguin, um, which was the second publisher that I even sent this book to, um, when they got back to me, he rang um, the Jeff Walker, who was the publisher at Penguin at that time, sort of said, oh, we're really interested in the series. And so, you know, we'd like to publish your book plus more. Ooh. Wow, that's amazing. Yes, I do have to write this series now. I mean, I already had loads of ideas right. of next books and what they would be um and I'd even sort of like started writing a second one in that series because as a character Sam Shepard had she'd got in my head she wasn't <laughs> going away anytime soon in fact she was stopping and pretty much demanding hey you write another book about me lady so um so it was always going to to be a series oh are you Sam Shepard no no I'm more of the man you're more than Maggie? Okay. I was just like, are there elements of you yes. in your characters? Um, yeah, like how do you, uh, are your characters a collective of people that you know personally? Like how do you separate like trying to write a character and think about someone you know or just are you like, no, it's just. Yeah. I think um, many characters are an amalgamation of things. So if I was going to say, Elements of me that are represented in Sam Shepard, the biggest one would probably be that I am a person who has an optimistic viewpoint. Mm. So Sam is a character, she's an optimist. And that's that definitely um, comes from me. Um, there are other elements of her that are my mum. Um, so you know, physically, I made Sam Shepard quite short. She just, you know, she's just over five foot tall. I, <laughs> I, had, I did my research to make sure what the minimum height for a police officer, for a police woman. Uh and you know she did scrape in there um but because my mum was small and she was small and mighty uh, but she always had um part of her lack of self-confidence was feeling that because she was small people didn't take her seriously 
uh, but believe you me, we took her seriously. And <laughs> so one of the, I wanted to put that in this character because be, if people don't take you seriously, they underestimate you. Mm. And if they underestimate you, you can use that as a strength. And so that's why, you know, I made her small of stature. It was going to give her challenges she had to overcome, but it also meant she could actually use that to her advantage really necessary as well. So, you know, that's part of Sam's character that I borrowed from um, my mum. But she, she Sam, she, she almost pretty much arrived fully formed. Mm. And some of the things she does is the opposite of me. Because, you know, for example, and this is where it's awesome writing fiction, you can make characters everything you're not. So you know, I was raised very well. I was brought up in the church. I was brought up to be polite and everything like that. So I made Sam swear. <laughs> and all the things that, you know, I, I feel like I couldn't, couldn't write. So I lived a little few of those things through my character. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely more um, Sam Shepard's flatmate Maggie, who's sort of more a very much a um, an even Stevens a leveling kind of a calming kind of a person. That's definitely much more who I am, as opposed to the slightly flighty and um, a bit brash and has a mouth and not afraid to use it kind of a girl that Sam is. Mm, you know, I, I listened to the audiobook because, okay, let me just backtrack here. First of all, I can't even remember how I came across you, but it was definitely through uh, AAPI month. And every so often, uh, because of my Bookstagram account, every so often, well, at least once a month, I'm always searching the publishing companies in New Zealand. I'm always Googling, trying to figure out what books are about to be released what books or authors I have missed and have never heard of. And then I come across New Zealand crime writer, Vanda Simon. I'm like, Vanda Simon? What? Do we have a crime writer that lives in Dunedin? I love Dunedin. <laughs> so, of course, I'm curious. Oh, my goodness. She's European and Fijian descent. Okay, now I'm hooked. So then I start researching. And I'm just like, how have I not heard? Okay, obviously, I need to widen my scope. So I'm, like, buzzing out, like, However, not have not heard about you, and then, and then I realized, oh, her books are in audiobook form because I love audiobooks. Uh, I do a lot of commuting um, here, and I commute to work. So if I'm not listening to music, I must listen to an audiobook. It just kind of kills time, and I, as as you mentioned in the beginning, it takes me off. It takes me into another world, into a different creative space. Uh, the big reason why I listen to. Uh, the audiobook is because I was kind of missing home at that time, uh, as as it happens, and I really wanted to hear New Zealandish. Like I wanted to read, hear the book, like how I would imagine it being told in that community. So I was, just, I know that sounds really weird, but I was just like, I I need to listen to this instead, and. Yeah, it was great. Like honestly, yeah, that was my that was my first like Vanda Simon moment. I was like, I need to listen to the audiobook. I don't actually know uh, because I re I listened to it on Audible, so I don't know if like I don't know if the the reader was British or <laughs> or a New Zealander. To be honest, I don't know, but it just sounded like oh yeah, this is if I can imagine a small community like this in the South Island, this is how I imagine the characters yeah. to sound. 
You needed like the Simon moment. <laughs> yes, I was very fortunate in um, my publisher who I have now, which is Arenda Books uh, in London, um, they organised being able to have audiobooks, which was you know, so really cool. And so the actually the reader um, is slightly Australian sounding, but you know ah. this has had been in New Zealand, New Zealand, yeah. so you know, understood and yeah, a more um, bottom of the, the world is kind of a sound than yeah i think i've been away too long maybe i've been away yeah. 70 i mean i do go back but then you know yeah. i'm usually around pacific island like you know samoan people so it was just again even listening to that was a whole whole experience yeah. um yeah <laughs> lovely thing too about my um the british publisher is that uh, they re-edited no got get want me to re-edit the books and bring them up to date to you know re published them in Britain mm -hmm. and they asked for them to be more Kiwi. They were just <laughs> wow. Yes, yes. So I was able to, you know, just put a bit more New Zealand description in there. Um, mm. so it's quite interesting uh, with some of our things like you know, we we call it a, a, a singlet. Yeah. And call it a vest over there. So you know I had to fight with the you know to say no it's a singlet in New Zealand. It has to yeah. be that. Has to be that. Um, has to be that. So it was really quite interesting the the translation of some of the words and mm -hmm. you know the ones that you decided you absolutely just had to have. We weren't going to yeah. to change. Um, but there, yeah, making it more Kiwi was so exciting for me. Yeah, you know, it was really cool when I discovered that you had audiobooks because I have I've had other authors um, on the show you know pacific island authors and i i just want more of our writers i would love for them to release their books in audiobook format uh you know in this day and age uh when i think about um you know young people and in terms of attention span uh and maybe even just being able to buy books or have access to actual books like i feel like audiobooks is just a whole nother another way to connect uh, mm. at a more inter intimate level, you know, with the stories that are being told. So I was stoked when I found out that you had audiobooks and I just would love to see more of our Pacific Island authors um, release audiobooks, release their stories in audio format. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's, and like you say, it's a, a way of making books more accessible, hugely more accessible. Um, I, particularly you know, in the COVID era, being able to get e-books and audio books when we couldn't get into stores to get physical paperback books and things like that mm. um, was huge. So I felt, I felt, again, very blessed that these things were available for me. Um, and I'm absolutely with you on the having Pacifica people and their works come out in audio books, um, particularly what I'd love to here is um so for audiobooks you know people like myself we don't record our own books um, right right it is a it is an utterly special skill to be able to do the voices and the emotion and everything in an audiobook so they have people who are voice actors who do it well mm. but there are um, one or two authors who do actually read their audiobooks because they've got that amazing skill they just have that gift um but i would love to hear audio books, audio versions of some of our fantastic Pacifica poets. Mm. Could you imagine them reading their poetry in their voice? Right. Um, it's 
expression with their um, language and their accent and everything like that would just be amazing. So yeah, we need to find a way to yeah. collaborate things happening. Yeah, because I, I sorry, and everything like that. So it's mm. like, yeah, needs to happen though. Yeah, I understand. Uh, like I've I've looked into like Audible and and you know those companies and like you said, you know, there are actual voice actors, um, but even the timing, the pacing of the storytelling, uh, mm. you know, is, is an, it's, a, it's an art, you know, like there are very strict guidelines, you know, um, the breathing, everything there, it, it sounds so weird, but there are very strict guidelines for recording. Um, but yeah. <laughs> When I went to, I had the pleasure of going over to Britain a few years ago um, and I went to Oxford to the studios where my books were, um, audio books were produced um, by um, Isis Productions and honestly, the voice actors, they're in this tiny little claustrophobic group. <laughs> it's totally the most unromantic thing you could ever imagine in your world where it's you know, minute, you know, the padded walls, just them basically in a microphone and the, the screen which the manuscript comes up on. And that just made me even more in awe of their skill that in that horrid physical environment <laughs> it was just awful and probably cold as well stuck in a little room in this booth for hours on end bringing to life the story I thought wow that that is just such an incredible school so you know huge kudos to mm. all the 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 poor souls out there I'll say poor souls who who, who do these audio books who voice these books because mm. yeah to, to be able to do that and do it so well is incredible. You know, and you were mentioning poetry earlier. Uh, I, I'm the same. Like, I've really, I really struggle to connect. Um, poetry is not my thing. Like, I try, I really do. And obviously, as a teacher, you know, if there's a poetry unit, you're like, I have to, I'm trying to think of so many different ways to engage my students and to keep it interesting and fun. Um, but what got me hooked on poetry was listening to it like yes. audio um when i listen to jessica Moore, i listen to her her book uh we want our bodies back and actually the reason why i connected with her was i watched this youtube video uh where these dancers a dance group or a choreographer in the uk they had collaborated and i just was listening to her and watching the movement and realized wow, I, I've never seen anything like this. Um, and it was basically like black women, you know, they want their bodies back. Um, so then I decided, okay, I'm going to get her book and I'm going to, I listened to the whole thing and I realized then, oh no, you do like poetry, but how about trying to listen to the audio versions? And so since then, that that's what I've been doing is just, if I'm curious about a book of poetry, I will try and find the audio. <laughs> and that's that's how I get connected like I just mm. it takes me it's just audio versions like really it just really takes me away to a different space and I yeah <laughs> the great things you know literature and a love of books it's doesn't have to be about the printed word on a page 
um, you know, print, printed books are amazing, but also, um, you know, I love graphic novels, for example. Another yes. fantastic way to be yes. able to, to reach people, to tell stories. Um, um, so uh, technology has been able to expand what this whole concept of literature is and and so it should uh, you know surely part of being imaginative is to find imaginative ways to bring story to people whether it's the spoken word through theater whether it's like mm. say the graphic, the audio books the printed books you know i'm i'm a huge fan of the printed book um i find it quite difficult to read ebooks just because it's a screen you know i like to have the the paper turn the pages feel the heft the weight of it mm. that how I like to experience it, but everyone has a different way that they do like to experience it. So um, it's fantastic now that there are so many avenues to be able to do that. It's not limited by um, anything really. Mm. Were you nervous? Uh, are you nervous when friends and family read your books? Like, is that exciting for you? What is some of the feedback? I mean, with all your siblings, have they had the opportunity to? It's <laughs> I remember the, oh, when my first book came out and I heard from somebody, oh, it's, there's a wee review in The Listener. I honestly felt sick. <laughs> I was so nervous about, oh, my gosh, what, what's it, what are they going to say? Um, so that whole part of it's quite challenging. Um, you feel extraordinarily vulnerable when you've spent all this time creating this book baby. And you put it out to the world, what are people actually going to think? Um, so it's yeah, so like, phew, generally for the most part, you know, people have loved the work and everything is like, which is fantastic. Um, I've had, had a few bad reviews, you always do anything subjective, you know, people like it or, or they don't, people, are, everyone's different. So you just have to roll with that. But it is, um, it never gets any more comfortable, shall we say, even after time, uh, mm. you do, because we all worry about what people think about us and, mm. and our, so, yeah. And when you do get a, you know, get, get a good review, it's like, oh. And when you get, um, the other thing I love is you get like the email from readers who say, oh, I love the book or anything like that. Oh. That's personal feedbacks just, absolutely lovely as well it makes you think oh yeah no that was all, all worth it um your family they pretty much tell you that they love your work because they're being kind and nice which is away. but you have to be a bit careful that um they don't think that the people that you've written into the story are them yeah were you digging at me? No. <laughs> um, you know, there was a time when you were the chair of the Copyright Licensing New Zealand, you know. Mm. I, I, I totally buzzed out at this piece of information. And I was just wondering, yeah, what was it like to be able to work in that space? Because you you were you served on the board for, for a number of years. Mm. Uh yeah, copyright licensing New Zealand. Yeah. How cool. Um, Absolutely. And that's one of the things, you know, we need voices around tables. Um, so I was on the board of copyright licensing New Zealand for some time, um, which was a fantastic board. And you know, the whole purpose of this is so the copyright licensing is so that authors and writers and creative people um, have the right to earn fair compensation for their work, for their creative work out there. Because, you know, 
to be honest, people are always trying to rip it off. People are trying to get mm. stuff for free. Um, people are trying to benefit from your work without actually giving you any compensation or pay, payment for that. So for me, it was really important to you know be a part of the group who was making sure that, for example, um, you know, schools had licenses so that they could use writers' works and that the writers would actually get some monetary compensation. Because you know, seriously, people, if you want our creative works, if you want to enjoy reading our books and things, we've got to eat. Mm. We've got to have We've got to pay our power bill. We've got to have a roof above our head. Um, we need to actually get some compensation or, or money for that. We don't do it entirely for love. Uh, mm. so as much as people say, yeah, I mean, people who say, oh, you know, we do it out of love. And it's like, but people have families, like creatives, writers, musicians, like they have families. Like it's, everyone has to make a living somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Know? So, um yeah, so I, you know, it, it was really good to be part of that board, and I felt such an honour when they wanted me you know, to be chair chair of that board as well. Mm. Getting involved in governance it was fantastic because you learned so many great skills. Um, you know, learned about working with people, learned about the sort of like the bigger picture, uh, and and things as well. So, yeah, that was one of the highlights of uh, for me was being the chair of copyright licensing New Zealand and you know, another highlight at the moment is um, um, president of the New Zealand Society of Authors mm. overall and again you know you've got to be brave and put your hand up because um, sometimes you can think oh am I up to that am I worthy can I do that mm. so, you know yes you can and organizations will give you the nice supports underneath to to support you on that way um but I, you know, I think it's very important to have, um, you know, Maori voices at the table, to have Pacifica, Pacifica voices at the table, um, to have women at the table on yeah. many of the boards. Uh, you know, diversity is really, really important. Um, one of the nice things about being on the Copyright Licensing New Zealand board as well was, you know, I was there as a creative person because you often look at board structures and they seem to be loaded with lawyers and accountants and um people like that but you know you need people from all across the community you need your creative people you need your people who are focused on um, health and community you need your actually community people in there as well so um, I feel yeah very again very blessed to have been able to be part of these organizations but part of that is actually yeah I'm prepared to put my hand up and sit at a table Mm. You know, you mentioned New Zealand Society of Authors, Te Puni Kaituhi o Aotearoa. Uh, for uh, anyone who is watching or listening, uh, how 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 would they? Uh, what do they need to do to 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 become part of the society, or at least, do you know what I mean? Like up and coming yeah. writers or indie writers. I'm not. Yeah, like what's. Yeah. So um, my background with the New Zealand Society of Authors is that way back when when I first started. Um, writing. I joined the society. I didn't. I wasn't a published author at that stage, okay. um, but I wanted to be part of a community, you know, a, a writing community to find other people out there who um, were authors, um, and also they had um, access to some really cool resources. So if you remember, you could apply for um, like a mentorship program, or you could apply for a manuscript assessment. So um, I joined the society. So I did. You know, it's a annual fee and I became at that point an associate member um, and I applied to get um, for my very first novel Overkill I applied for the assessment program to you know mm. to see if I could get one and I got awarded an assessment wow. um, which for me was fantastic because you know 
to get your novel read by a stranger who knew the industry was important because, you know, a lot of people give their work to family members or people like that. And they're not going to tell you what they need. you. They're going to say, oh, it's lovely, it's great. They're too, they're too kind. They're not going to tell you that what you actually need to get fixed. So uh, my novel was assessed by a wonderful um, uh, editor, Stephen Stratford, who unfortunately um, passed away very recently, actually. But his feedback was amazing because the first thing he said on his report was, I loved this novel. So I mean, can you imagine the confidence boost that gave me? Mm. And then a list of things I needed to change. So it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to change that. <laughs> I'm going to change that. So um, by joining the um, Society of Authors, I actually got access to those services. And also, um, for example, when I moved to Dunedin, um, I found the local branch. And so I get moving to a strange city. I you know, went along to a few meetings, met other authors and the, the fabulous um, support that everyone gave each other because uh, everyone in that whole community was really, really um, positive and uplifting and helpful. So no, that, I think, was sense of community was one of the hugest and the best benefits of you know, joining the New Zealand Society of Authors. So, uh, but also, you know, other things that offers, you know, so there's professional development, there's all sorts of courses mm -hmm. that you online um, or you know in person we get road shows where we travel around to the cities in the smaller towns and organize um, writing workshops and things like that um, there's the whole advocacy thing like I said mm. you know we talk about copyright there's reviews of the copyright and um, public lending rights so um, if you've got uh, if you're an author and you've got your books in public libraries you can register each year and then you get um, a small monetary compensation the books held in libraries that people are going so that you know people can go and get wow. these books out free and enjoy your work and everything but you get a little bit of conversation so we do lots of advocacy work um and the other other really important element of um it is um we're part of pen international so mm -hmm. it sort of looks at um writers for example and then your journalists or your people like that who end up being imprisoned because of their work and their writing or you know some even killed for their writing so it's you know lobbying and making sure that people in that capacity where they're reporting um getting that sort of like freedom of information and things out there that um they are kept safe or if they are imprisoned that they're not forgotten that their, their mm. voices and it's um late advocating so yeah it's a um an organization that i've been part of for a long time and really just read supports writers across all you know from the very beginning writers to our wonderful wonderful um established writers and everyone mm. I'm <laughs> oh you know um you're also a fencer like <laughs> I, I i cannot you know interview you and not talk about like you wear so many hats and you are involved in so many different spaces in the community but then i'm like but wait family we need to talk about Vanda the fencer. <laughs> um, I mean, since high school, uh, today, okay. actually, today, you were uh, running a fencing competition. Please yep. tell us about your journey as uh, a fencer. Well, <laughs> I started, as you say, at high school. Um, and the, one of the reasons why I took up fencing at high school was because uh, you know, Vanda the imaginative dreamer, book-loving girl, always loved everything sort of like Arthurian legend, you know, <laughs> nice 
on horseback, that kind of thing, swords. But I wanted to be the chick with the sword, not the you know, not, not not the one being rescued. I wanted to be the one rocking you're, up. With you're no damsel in distress. I know that yeah. now. <laughs> so um, fortunately, Karamu High School in Hastings offered fencing as a sport. So I thought, oh, I'll yeah, give that give that a try, and absolutely loved it. I mean, you're playing with swords. What's not to love? Come on, people! Um, and it's a, a wonderfully therapeutic way at the end of your day to take out of your frustrations is to to attack a friend with a sword. So, uh, but it's also one of these fantastic sports you can do throughout your entire life, and you can go away and, and then come back to it. So I fenced through high school and university, but then after university, um, when I worked in um, the Hawke's Bay back then, at that stage, there were no clubs there. So, the, you know, 20 years not fencing, and then moved back to Dunedin, joined up and did it again very actively. So uh, in our club, Claymore Swords Club here in Dunedin, you know, we have members who are in their 70s still actively fencing. You know, it's a sport you can do throughout the ages. So um, I compete. Um, I still hope to compete in, uh, like, you know, veterans and trying to fence. I'd like to fence internationally again. I've um, represented New Zealand at Commonwealth Veterans. And I'd like to think that I'll, I'll still be, I have this imagination of me at 80, even if <laughs> Is them a frame, sword in one hand, frame in the other. You <laughs> go really enjoying it because it's a great way to keep it. It's really social. Um, uh, it's really strategic. You know, it's a very satisfying sport because you're doing something very intensely physical, but also it's a thinking game. You're trying to outwit your opponent as well. So, and, and me being me, boots and all. So, you know, I coach, I help organise and run the club. I was on the board of Fencing New Zealand for 10 years. Uh, so, it's, it's fantastic. So, if anyone, you know, if, if anyone wants to learn fencing, Google, find your local club, give it a go. That's awesome. Now, I'm, I'm, nothing you tell me now surprises me because I'm just like, strategy. I bet she yeah. studied the science behind the sport as well. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. You and can so totally you know, it out. It is awesome. <laughs> um, both your sons got into fencing as well. And I recently read an article on your son, Corey, who's a third year medical student and was nominated for a Blues Award recognizing his achievements in fencing. Goodness, you must be a proud mother. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. No, he's, um, well, he fenced yesterday and won the um, Fencing South Championships foil competition mm -hmm. yesterday. So uh, he's done very well and fenced overseas. Um, and like I say, you know, third year medical student and um, very proud of him for everything he does, but um, just also for the fact that for him, he's, um, he's was born without a right hand. So he's, you know, done everything that he's, managed to achieve um as you know people would call him disabled but he's just mm. so incredibly abled uh, he, he does everything and, he, and, and again he's like the apple does not fall far from the tree <laughs> and, it up and he's on committees and you know writing review shows and all that thing as well but uh yeah so he's very dynamic and 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 fun young man to be around so yeah proud of both my boys oh 
Awesome, mum. We've got an awesome mother right here. I have to give you your flowers. Uh, the theme for Fijian Language Week is nurture, preserve, and sustain the Fijian language. So mm. I was wondering, you know, coming from a huge, um, you know, having lots of siblings coming from a huge Fijian family, growing up in Aotearoa, uh, how have you been able to stay connected to your Fijian roots, you know, over the years, uh, or even um, community and just language, like, yeah. yeah, how have you manoeuvred those spaces living in um, Aotearoa? And that, that is a great question because it's been a lifelong journey. So for me, um, my father was the, my was Fijian, but my father died when he when I was 10 years old and I was the youngest of the family. So when he passed away, um, you know, the situation was difficult for my mum and um we were all the family in the, in the Tauranga area at that stage. And um, my mum and I and some of my other siblings, we um, were taken by a, a Presbyterian minister and we sort of stayed with her and moved with her over to Hawke's Bay. So I kind of lost that physical connection with many of my brothers and sisters who are living in Tauranga and got you know, a bit isolated over in Hawke's Bay. So I didn't get to connect with that whole Fijian side um, for, for many, many years. But one of the wonders of doing the PhD and coming into this working for the Vaal Totai Centre for Pacific Health as an adult is over the last four or five years of really being able to reconnect, mm. um, which was fantastic because it was really felt like something that was really missing in my life. Uh, I knew I had all this heritage, uh, my brothers and sisters, you know, when we get together, it's fantastic and awesome, um, everything like that. But you know, for many of them, um, they've lost their Fijian language. Uh, there's only you know, one brother who probably can speak it with any fluency and you know, some of the others sort of know some words and bits and pieces. So um, reconnecting with that as an adult has been such a gift and such a blessing. Um, and feeling that, you know, yes, I am Fijian, and being able to say that when you sort of been brought up in very much a European culture, um, and you know, for me, you know, personally, I'm I'm a very pale Fijian. Mm. Oh, the hair, <laughs> man, have I got there? But um, so you know, I may not look the part, but I feel it, feel that part. So um, being confident to actually say yes, I am a Fijian New Zealander now is is fantastic. Um, the language one is really really interesting because I'm now really really interested in the language. So my goal over the next um, you know five to ten years is actually to start learning Fijian language. Um, haven't quite figured out how I'm going to do that yet. Uh, so you know, I, I do know a number of people now in the Dunedin community who, who speak Fijian and um, so I'll probably start to sort of shoulder tapping them and sort of yeah. wear some starters and um, parts like that. So it's slightly daunting thought, mm. you know, learning a language at this age, but it's also something that I really want to do for that. Again, that, that connection and just also realising how important language is to um, how people connect with their community and with their um, heritage and their ancestry and the importance of sustaining language and making sure that languages do continue because I think it's so easy. Well, they say it only takes a generation to lose um, 
to lose an at-risk language or a smaller language. So I think that's vitally important. So I love that they do these language weeks um, and, and, and highlight languages. And um, it's gonna be important for me personally and part of that long-term journey that I'm taking. What's coming up next for Vanda Simon, the author? Oh, Vanda Simon, the author, has <laughs> end of this month, holy crikey, 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 um, deadline to finish the next novel and get that submitted to my publisher, which is a new Sam Shepard novel, um, which will be coming out early next year. So Vanda, the author, is extremely busy and every waking moment where she's not doing the day job um, is pretty much writing and polishing this novel so there you go you're gonna get another book to read soon oh my gosh we love these surprise announcements <laughs> you're gonna hear fam oh my god <laughs> sorry i'm down <laughs> oh that's exciting and um you know i've right throughout the show like we've been highlighting vanda the author vanda mum vanda vanda the research fellow vanda the radio host and many many hats that you wear but oh and fencer outside of all of that how do you uh in terms of self-care how do you look after yourself uh when you're not doing all these cool things that you love to do how do you take care of your health and you know well i think um that's something you actually have to be really careful to make sure you do take the time to do because we do get very very busy in our lives um and there are demands from from everywhere you know the demands as a mother demands from work demands for, uh, as being a wife demands from community demands from the organizations and everything like that so um you do need to find things that make you happy now i've always been a kind of a girl who i find pleasure in really simple things so um Weirdly enough, you know, I, ha I have a few like little ritually type things that I like to do. So if people who do follow me on Instagram or things like that know that I have a thing for tea trays. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've so seen one, that. One, yeah. So one of the simple, and it is literally, it is a simple pleasure is that um, in this really busy time where everything seems to be rush, 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 when I make a tea tray up, it's, you know, I proper teapot I'll go out into the garden I'll find a nice flower cut myself a nice flower come into the house match the flower to some of the tea I use my bone china you know the frilly teacups I, I match which one goes which which cup and my teapot and milk jug and just make a beautiful little tea tray um, and then take that to my office space and enjoy that simple pleasure of taking some time to have tea in a special way and it feels like a really special little treat so that's one of my little self-care things um another one is um you know exercise is really important and it's really important and everyone knows it's important for mental health so taking that time and that's where fencing is a bonus because not only is it exercise but it's also quite social and things like that mm -hmm. but I do make sure I um, try to walk so uh, if I can um, I often walk home from work which takes 45 to 50 minutes um, and it's just a good way at the end of the day to just to take the work off get some exercise um, and transition um, mm -hmm. And the other thing is um, 
I like like jigsaw puzzles. You know, I like word games, crosswords. You know, those those seeker find word things. Mm. Because you just kind of go to be in that moment, concentrating on that page, and it's really satisfying when you finish one. It's really unsatisfying when you don't finish a Sudoku. <laughs> that can be frustrating. But um, just taking a few moments, even if it's five minutes, just to spend some time doing a crossword puzzle because that's time for you. Uh, so when time is precious, it's just little ways. Oh, Simple. That's nice. That's nice. Um, book recommendations as we're starting to wrap up uh, yeah. or take the opportunity to plug your <laughs> writing. Please well, go I, ahead. <laughs> I always much prefer, no, I'm, I'm not, I much prefer plugging other people's writing. Um, so like I said, I, re I read a lot um, and I read a lot of broadly non-fiction and fiction. So I've always got a non-fiction book on the go and I've always got fiction books on the go. So um, a few books that I've read recently because I had the pleasure of actually interviewing these authors, but you know, that have really stuck with me. Um, so JP or Josh Pomare is a, a New Zealand writer and um, he's doing really, really well overseas, um, originally from uh, back blocks of Rotorua and uh, his most recent book's called The Wrong Woman um, that I read recently because he was touring with Val McDermott and Michael Robotham. Um, so I love that as a, as a Kiwi author, um, The Wrong Woman. Um, and again, if reading that, Michael Robotham's a fantastic Australian crime writer and um, his recent book, Lying Beside You, it was the first time I'd read these two particular characters that just the characters really caught me. So I'm going to have to go back and read the earlier books of the series just because I love the characters. And so, um, yeah, Lying Beside You by Michael Robotham. And he just had these, um, Cyrus Haven's one of the characters who's a guy. And, and Evie Cormack, who's this really interesting young woman who she can sense if people are lying she can tell if you're lying or not which is a skill you know it's a gift and it's a curse mm. but he's just the characters absolutely captivated me and then um in the non-fiction department um I read a book recently called Murder Isn't Easy, The Forensics of Agatha Christie. So <laughs> but um, by Carla Valentine and it's just a non-fiction book. It ties in the forensic science that Agatha Christie used in her plots. Um, interestingly, she was a, a chemist as well. Uh, wow. <laughs> but, and then gives you the background, like the history of that science and how it came about. So that sort of satisfied my literature-loving nerd and my forensic science nerd all in one book. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited because now I'm just like hearing you and I'm like I need to find I need to find these books I need to like read more <laughs> New Zealand authors so it's been so interesting to hear you you know drop some of these names and I'm, I'm excited very <laughs> I'm very good at buying books and not yeah to read them so I've been really um again this journey of mine and rediscovering my heritage and things like that is actually enjoying all our Pacifica writers so um mm. I recently bought um the Beats of the Pau by Mari, Maria Samuela and also um Va'a was edited by um Lani Young and Cecilia Iruati so you know more books that I've got to find the time to read I just need more yeah. reading time. But I've got to write right. the novel first. Not allowed to do <laughs> I write the novel. Um, since since Vanda didn't didn't like, you know, promote she does she she likes promoting other authors. I'm just gonna put it out there. And fam, if you're watching or if you're listening to us on Spotify and Google Podcasts, check out Vanda's writing. 
over uh, the series, the Sam Shepard series, Overkill, the Ringmaster, Containment Bound. And you heard it here. There's another book coming. Yeah. Check out her work, vendorsimon.com, uh, Simon with a Y. S Y M O N, and then Faceless uh, is is another book. So you will not be disappointed. I mean, I don't know if I've ever been so hooked on crime writing. Uh, you know, I, I I read a lot of memoirs and 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 YA fiction. I read a lot of middle school books because I'm I'm curious about what my students are reading. I want to you know I want to be up to date and know what the latest books are that they're interested in, but Vanda Simon, the crime writer, is, is is something else. So you will not be disappointed, fam. Check it out. Support, uh, you know, New Zealand authors. Support uh, Pacific Island authors. Support our women of the Moana who are just smashing goals and and, and doing doing the most and, and wearing different hats in our communities there in New Zealand. There's my plug, vandasimon.com. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you could be you know, now. <laughs> hey, I could. I could totally. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, as we wrap up the show, I, you know, ask guests just to uh, finish, wrap up the show with some words of wisdom or encouragement, maybe for up and coming writers or uh, just anyone wanting to, you know, go after uh, their goals and dreams. Uh, but before I give you the opportunity, Vanda, I just want to say, a huge uh, vinaka. Thank you so much for sharing space. It is such an honor. It is. Uh, I just can't. It is such an honor to have you to to have you here on the show today. Um, you know, I'm a fangirl, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> but I wanted to. You know, we're in October now. I uh, wish you all the best uh, with the deadline you've got coming up. <laughs> And just for the different community spaces that you're in, you know, continue to be the change, uh, continue to advocate for, you know, for our communities that need those voices at the table. Super inspirational. I love your vibe. Love your work. So, um, you know, blessings. God bless all the best uh, for the remainder of the year. Thank you so much, Rosa. And I just want to also shout out to you and huge appreciation for what you do, highlighting all our wonderful Pacific creative people with your podcast. And I don't know how you fit it in with all your time. <laughs> so I say well, my final message to people would be, um, no, if you're interested in writing or anything creative, is, is have a go. No, just actually have a go. Don't worry about um, people judging you. Do it for you because, you know, it'll, what you need to express in your heart. Um, read, read a lot, read widely. Um, don't just stick to one thing, read everything that you possibly can. And yeah, put the words on a page, give it a go. It's um, very fulfilling for yourself, but also um, you know, if, if you can actually, if you do get published, uh, and, but and there are all sorts of different ways to get published now, um, it is really exciting to get your work out there. And we all need creativity. We need, you know, I want more books to read. So come on, people, write novels so Vanda can read them. 